and welcome to another edition of Sunday Stories, where we tell the stories of the people who make North Church Guthrie such a special place to be. I'm your host, Corey White, and I'm joined by our guest this week, Tira Wagner. Tira, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, let's just start by asking what I ask most people. How'd you get involved uh, with North Church Guthrie? Yeah, we had lived here for maybe about a year and visited churches and gone to a church in Stillwater, and God put on our heart Guthrie. And so Tammy and Ray Dorwart, they um, are my husband's aunt and uncle. And so that was our connection into the church. And so we came and visited one Sunday, and um, we loved it. We love the diversity. We love the people's hearts. Obviously, Hetty is just sucks you in with all of his love. So we really just knew then that um, that we just wanted to be here. So we kept coming back, and we never stopped. So, so you do you live outside of Guthrie? We do. We live about 30 minutes north off I-35, just west of Stillwater, and on a ranch in Orlando, Oklahoma. Orlando. What do you, do you have? Uh, <laughs> you have some acreage. You have uh, animals. What What do you yeah. do on the ranch there? So we we d- we don't have our own. Well, we have chickens, but we lease the land out to some cattle ranchers, and so it's on about 300 acres. So we get the joy of seeing all of the cattle out there, but we don't necessarily take care of them at this we, moment. So you don't it's have the best work. of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, tell me about your walk, your journey. How did you end up at that at that ranch? Oh my goodness, it's a great story. So my husband and I, we had only four kids at the time. Now we have five since we've moved to Oklahoma. But we were just this young family in the suburbs of Dallas. And we began praying. We knew that God had something different for us. And I was a photographer, graphic designer, and a mama there. Andrew worked for a construction company. And we just began praying, God, open our eyes. Show us what you want to show us. My grandfather owns the land out here in, um, in Oklahoma. And we came to visit for a family reunion as we were walking around the town. A little girl, we were near some train tracks, and a little girl came out of her home. And she began to yell at us, get off the train tracks, get off the train tracks. And um, it struck my heart because her living conditions were absolutely horrendous. Um, There was a lot of poverty out by where we were that day. And um, this little girl just struck a nerve in my heart. And I heard Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to move here and I want you to feed my people. And so I went home and I began to pray, God, how do we make this happen? And one thing led to the other. And Andrew's boss called and said, have you ever wanted to move to Oklahoma? We want to open an office in Oklahoma. He, he, he just randomly reached out and said, hey, uh, you, do you want to move to Oklahoma? Yeah. Wow. And so we, um, we thought, well, God's opening a very, very big door. And so the next thing you know, three months later, our house is on the market. And we knew nothing but to move to this little town where we knew no one. We uh, started from scratch on raw land that was completely untouched. And we moved out here. And our mission was to feed God's people. How do you do that? What does that look like? (laughs) Which part? Well, the feeding God's people. Feeding God's people. Well, I took it figuratively and literally. I knew that by feeding man, man's bread, that it would lead for them trusting me to feed them God's bread, which the Bible says is deliverance. And I know that in a, in a place where there's just so much hopelessness and so much poverty, that, that when you f- meet a physical need, it leads to meeting a spiritual need. So I went and looked for hungry people. The first couple weeks we moved here, 
I went and began to ask people, um, who needs help? Who needs food? And we we set up a feeding program out in the town we live in. What does that look like? Do you have a physical location where you're handing out like a pantry, handing out uh, canned goods and stuff? Yeah. So at first, um, didn't really know where to start. The only actual building in town that everyone uses is the post office. I went to the postmaster and asked if I could leave uh, food, actual bags of food one day a week, and um, if they could spread the word. And I would go drop the food off anonymously, and people would come, and they would be gone within five minutes. And then it just grew from there. During COVID, they told me I couldn't use the building anymore, of course. So COVID ruins everything. <laughs> COVID ruins everything. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we ended up meeting up with the local church, and they gave me a key to the building and told me I could um, feed people out of there. So on Sundays, actually, we go and I gather bags of food up. I turned my tornado shelter into a food pantry, and uh, we literally go feed people that are hungry. How do people contribute if they want to get involved uh, with with this uh, you know, with your, your your thing there? What, what is there a way to you know people want to contribute? Yeah, so anytime that someone wants to donate actual physical food is great, um, or money for me to buy you know food. Either of those ways are perfectly fine to do. Um, we don't have a nonprofit set up. We're just two people that love our city and want to love on them. So we just do it ourselves. If, if they're buying food, uh, non-perishable probably, can yeah. food, stuff like that. And my goal is to try and teach people how to cook healthy food on a budget. And so I want them to have, a lot of them don't have big refrigerators and things like that. So I have to make sure it's, you know, pantry safe. And uh, so like we go with brown rice or whole wheat um, flour, things like that, trying to teach people some healthier lifestyle that they can afford. Yeah, maybe you can you teach me too. I <laughs> <laughs> may have to go up there and get an education. Absolutely. Uh, the, um, what, what have you seen? In, do, do people come up to you? Do you have you seen life change in, in that regard? Do you, um, and what, what kind of joy do you get out of helping people? Oh, gosh, it is. It's the best part of my week, honestly, because I get to literally be the hands and feet. And, and, and feed people. It's a joy to me. Um, and we really tried to do a lot of it um, anonymously at first. And then you just can't feed people and people not take notice. And so we really uh, also wanted to meet the people in town. But one day I was in the post office dropping off food and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I want you to stop what you're doing and I want you to go next door. The man next door needs healing. I didn't know the man next door. The house looked scary next door. I didn't really want to go next door, but I was obedient. He's not going to take you into safe spaces, yeah, right? I, no, I was by myself, and Andrew probably, would, my husband would have opposed greatly, but I did it anyway. I went over, and I got his attention, and he came out, and very begrudgingly, he was not happy to see me, but I said, I'm here um, to pray for you. God said you need healing. What's going on? And he told me that that day he had been diagnosed with liver cancer and that his wife was on his death, on her deathbed and that um, she had had a surgery and her bowels had ripped open and she was no longer eating and they didn't expect her to make it. And so I knew why I was there. I was there to feed people, but really God used it as a vessel. And his heart was softened because he was one of the people that was receiving food. He knew who I was, but I didn't know who he was. And so I just asked him simply, can I pray for you? Can I lay hands on you and pray for you. And he said, yes. And, uh, he was desperate enough to say yes. 
And so he said yes, and I just simply asked God to heal him. And then within a week's time, I went back to go take groceries, and he's running toward me, full-blown, out of breath, to tell me that the, uh, they had another scan. The doctor cannot find cancer on him, and his wife is eating again, and she's completely healed. And I see them every week. They still come and get food, and they are transformed. That's amazing. That's a wonderful uh, testimony. What advice do you give to people who, uh, you know, were in that situation, who maybe God's calling them to do something that's maybe a little out of their comfort zone, a little scary, and, and <laughs> you, you know, maybe they're they're pushing back a little bit, going, oh, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. Maybe I heard him wrong. Sure. What, do you, what advice do you give them to, to just go in and take the plunge? Sure. You know, in God's Word, I think it's in Psalms, it says, do not despise small beginnings. And I think that's a profound statement, and we overlook it. Sometimes we think, especially in our culture, that we have to start out really big. We have to make the biggest impact, and the greatest amount of people have to see what's going on so that that if, if people see it, then they can, you know, it, it means something. It's worth it. Um, I think that conquering fear, it's just like how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? You take one step at a time. You do it in the quietness of getting up, getting in God's word, conquering that fear there, and then taking one step at a time. And I think for us, you know, we didn't despise small beginnings. And we just knew that if we took a step of obedience, no matter how afraid we were, a lot of these people, they didn't really know who we were. They didn't, they're like, you're from Dallas. You're not from here. You don't look like us. Um, it took a really long time for people to warm up to us and to realize we weren't there to take anything from them. We just wanted to bless their lives. And so I think that the joy that you get from stepping out and the obedience, it helps you conquer your fear. Well, you offer your gifts and your generosity to the kingdom in many, many different ways, not only through this uh, food pantry that you've created, but uh, you're, you're a singer as well, and you're on yeah. stage very often here in Guthrie using your talents, your beautiful, your beautiful talents to, to just uh, make this worship, uh, you know, to really make our worship team that much better. Tell me how you got involved in, in singing. Well, I've been singing ever since I was teeny tiny, ever since I could. Um, I don't know life without singing, um, but I sang all through high school, and and then I went to school um, for music in Nashville, Tennessee, right off Music Row at Belmont University, and um, and I just loved it. And so I got a commercial music license with a music business minor, and so that's kind of where I really took a big, big, bold step in doing that. And so I've done everything from jail ministry to studio singing to singing all the different Disney songs to my kids at bedtime, you name it. <laughs> Lots of worship teams, um, you, but I love it. You know Let It Be pretty well. You, you, you know I, that's why Let It yeah, Be. What is yeah. it? Not Let It Be. The let, it and let It Go. Let It Go. That's exactly <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it shows you I don't have children. So <laughs> is there... A, do you, do you have a favorite type of music that you like to sing? I mean, obviously, probably Christian, I would imagine, but is there, uh, maybe outside of uh, out of worship tunes, are there things that you like to sing? Oh, gosh. I feel like as a musician, you can appreciate things about every type of music. Um, I know a lot of songwriters that still live in Nashville, and so I love when I hear a song that is written well, that has clever lyrics, and where the heart of the song and the melodies match the heart of the lyrics, and they mesh up together, and they tell a story, because I'm a storyteller. And so I think that I, you can find a story in every genre of music. Um, and so I love gospel. I love bluegrass. I love country. I, I love rock. I mean, 
I don't think there's a genre that I don't appreciate because I know how hard those people work and the talent that it takes. Nashville, uh, yeah. you're in you're in essentially the heart of music, in especially country, um, yeah. but other other forms of music as well. Did you get an opportunity to showcase talents in clubs? You know, uh, did you play in, in front of people and venues and things like that? You know, there was a lot of opportunities that I had. Um, I when I was in college, I was very. I seemed very insecure on the outside, very secure on the outside, but I was very insecure on the inside. And so you would find me more in groups of people. I traveled with an acapella group. And so blending in was my, um, was my forte and using my vocal ability to be on teams and learn teamwork. Um, and so I was a part of lots of different groups and a lot of groups in college and outside of college. And so we did a lot of shows at the Skirmerhorn Symphony Center. I was the assistant at the Nashville Choir. And so we did like Michael W. Smith's 25th year anniversary show and did shows with all kinds of people. So I really got to kind of sit back and see the inner workings of the music industry in lots of different ways and see how God's people operate in that. It was very interesting. You don't just hop on the stage at North Church. You don't, like no. there is a process <laughs> that you right. go through. And I, yeah, tell us about those who don't really know the process of getting involved with the worship team at North Church, both in Oklahoma City and up here in Guthrie. What is that process like? Sure. So I had kind of a unique step into that. Um, it was our like our third or fourth visit to the North Church, and I was in the back. I thought it was kind of hidden back in the shadows. We were still in the school at that point. And um, Farah, the worship um, you know director over North, um, was there that day. And I was just worshiping God like I do, whether I'm on stage or off. And um, God just highlighted me to her. And I thought I was hidden away back in the back and just worshiping God in my own way. And um, afterwards, she approached me, and she didn't know who I was. Nobody really knew who I was. And she was so discerning in that moment, and Holy Spirit spoke to her, and she said, I know you're a worshiper. Um, I can see the heart of worship on you. And she said, um, do you even sing? <laughs> and I said, well, actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> funny you should ask. Funny you should say that. Actually, yeah. I am. And so um, we ended up meeting. So we met for coffee, and she just heard a little bit me, about me. I heard about her. And then she invited me. They go through a, an Elevate program. It's a program that's set up to where you can audition, you can receive training, um, constructive criticism in the best way possible to help you be the absolute best. And you go through this. Um, it was in the height of COVID. So we had a lot of it on Zoom. Um, so at, I'm past that program now. So I don't know if they still do a lot on Zoom, but at that point they did. And so it was a really unique opportunity to get to meet all the faces, even though I am far away. Um, everyone was so wonderful and welcoming. And so they challenge you, they grow you, they um, desire excellence from you, but in such a humble way. And I appreciate that. What have you learned? What is, uh, you know, Farah uh, to me is she's, so when you say constructive criticism, she yeah. is, she's great at growing you in, in performance. And yes. actually, I was just with her a couple of days ago, and I, I just remarked to her on that same thing, that she just gives such great feedback. What have you learned from her, and how is the process of the going through that Elevate program in, made you a better performer and a better singer? Absolutely. You know, um, I think that one of the really wonderful things about Farah is that she is a very humble leader and she knows her stuff 
and she's very experienced and has many years of it, but she's very humble and loving in her approach to all things and how she deals with people. And so one of the things that I loved and adored is watching her as a leader. And I learned a lot about how to steward people, steward relationships, uh, steward people's giftings well. And, you know, she, um, she's not a leader that needs the spotlight, even though she has ample opportunity for it. She really calls you up to the place where she knows that God's called you to. And I think that that makes one of the best leaders out there. Do you ever get nervous? Uh, are you, uh, I mean, you said you, you, you like kind of being in the crowd. You're not, you don't necessarily like the spotlight on you, Sure. but do you, is performance something you've had to learn how to do or did it always just come naturally? I think that from when I was a little girl, I think I'm like an ex an, an extroverted introvert. I think that a lot of musicians find themselves this way, that we can be in front of people and handle it well, but it's not necessarily the only place we prefer to be. And so a lot of me, I had to push a lot of fear aside. I had to learn. And, you know, one day God told me, he said, I've made you so that people can see you, but I've made you so people can see you so that they can see me. And when I took my eyes off of myself and put my eyes on him, it helped me a lot because I didn't feel the pressure of the performance. It was, I wanted to be excellent and good at my craft, speak well and eloquent, eloquently in front of people, um, but I didn't want to take away his glory. And so when I work with him in that relationship of being on stage as a conduit to point people to him, it changed everything for me. That's good. I, I do some speaking and it's, it, you know, you can get so caught up in the, you know, people coming up to you and going, oh my God, that was so great. That was so, you're brilliant. And it's, it's like, you know, when you take that on yourself and you say, yeah, yeah well, heck I am brilliant. Well, the, the first time you, you, you are not brilliant. People notice that you're not brilliant. You're going to crumble. You know, Absolutely. you're going to crumble because if, if you take it, you have to take the good and the bad. So if, yeah, if you're going to take it on yourself, cause, and there's going to be times when you're going to be bad, you're not going to yes. be on your best day. <laughs> <laughs> and it can't be your identity. If it's your identity, it, it you will fall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every time. Um, and so I learned that the hard way. Absolutely. Many times. Uh, yeah, so. Just having a bad performance or when you say that. Oh, gosh. Uh, yes. And I think that fear led me to deflect with humor a lot when I was up on stage. And I would be funny and... Um, and it wouldn't always hit the crowd right. Or, you know, as a speaker and a singer, um, you you have to learn, you know, how to communicate with the audience. And yet, especially as a worship, as a worshiper, you have to hear what God's saying and you have to feel what the crowd is feeling at the same time. I always say that, you know, when you're in front of people, it is, it, it is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a responsibility. I don't care if it's between two people or a thousand. You have a responsibility to your audience um, to 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 give your best. Yes. But that's almost doubly for you because you're 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 you know you're speaking for God. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it is a weighty thing, and I think that sometimes is where people fall is when we don't live in the weight of it. When we don't live in the weight of having to surrender and listen to what he's saying and be yielded. Because any other speaker or singer out there, they're doing it for themselves or they're just doing it for the audience. And and that they don't have to worry 
or think about or live in the weight of what does the God of the universe say about this moment? And that's a weighty thing. And I take it really seriously. Do you ever, is it hard not to, sometimes you, you know, you're singing a lot of the same songs. That's just by virtue of, of, you know, just the way, the nature of how hard it is to actually do a new song and learn a new song. So I'm not trying to be insulting here, but you do sing a lot of the same songs over and over again. Do you, do you ever get to where you, where you get stale, where you have to remind (laughs) yourself that, you know, I, I, this is a blessing. I get to do this. Yes, Absolutely. And it is very, you have to be very intentional with it. You have to ask God, search me, search my heart. What is in here that's for me and not for you? It is an intentional act that you have to do every step of the way. And it has to be every day. It's just like, give us this day our daily bread. It's the same way. It's just surrender. You will get moldy over time. (laughs) Uh, uh, So you, Nashville, Dallas here. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Belton, Texas. I was born in Corpus Christi on the coast, and then I I spent most of my life in Belton, Texas. It's just right in the middle of Texas and just kind of a little average town. Is that Hill Country? It is. It is Hill Country. Just outside Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful area. Yes. You said you had five kids. I have five Five kids. Five (laughs) children. Five children. Have you applied for sainthood yet? (laughs) Right? I had four kids in four years, and then I waited four years and had another child. I needed four years to recover from four kids in four years. Goodness gracious. It was quite remarkable time. perpetually pregnant for four years. (laughs) I was. It was a a constant state of pregnancy, for sure. Tell me about motherhood and tell me about your kids a little bit. I mean, it's it's hard to probably describe all of them, but uh, I mean, it's not hard, but it, it would take a, it's, sure. it's going to take the rest of the podcast to tell you about <laughs> all your children, but no, tell me a little bit about them and, and, and what you love about motherhood. You know, I love being a mom. Obviously, I have five kids. I ought to love it, right? But no, I really do. And I take my job so seriously. And every time that I would have a child to get pregnant with a little little baby, I would ask God, what do you say over this child's life? Because I understand that they're God's first and I'm just here to steward their life. And so I ask God everything. What do you want to name them? What's their personality going to be? What are their giftings? I ask before they're even born because I want to know who God says that child is. And I'll tell you why. Because I have to help them fight their battles and I have to teach them how to fight. I have to teach them how to fight against fear. I have to teach them how to be brave and I have to teach them how to follow God. And that is, as a mom, that's a really, that's a big and high calling that I think sometimes we gloss over or it feels very weighty. And one incident that happened recently, I don't know if you heard about it, a couple weeks ago, our little boy um, had an accident. He fell out of Andrew's truck as Andrew was driving. He was our fourth little boy. His name's Stetson. And when Stetson was in my womb, God told me he's a worshiper. So I named his middle name Levi because the Levites in Scripture, they're the worshipers. They're on the front line of the battlefield. The Israelites would put the worshipers on the front line and they would play instruments. And as long as they worshiped God, they would win the battle. And so I knew that he was a worshiper, that there was a high calling of God on his life. So all throughout his little six years of life, I've told him, this is who you are. This is who God says you are. And so I, um, we came to a moment a couple weeks ago where it was a Sunday. I just got done feeding people. And Andrew um, 
he, the children screamed, uh, very long story long, uh, Stetson had fallen out of the truck at a, at a, a pretty good speed. He had tire marks across his stomach and he was dying and we knew it and I was holding him and we live far out and I began to pray over him and I began to pray not only God I know what your word says I know what your will says heal my son but I began to declare who Stetson was and who God made him to be and I had ingrained that in my heart from the beginning of who Stetson was and I did that and you know Stetson walked away he got out of the ICU in three days he was life lighted to the uh, OU hospital trauma center and none of the paramedics thought he would make it they didn't even think that he would make it off the road and they stopped the helicopter twice even to put him in and I coached my kids in the car my kids saw everything and I coached them I said you will say Stetson will live and not die because this is the God's promise and he's a promise keeper But if God chooses not to heal Stetson, I want you to know that God is good and he'll always be good. And as a mom, you know, when something like that happens, you know, you're the protector, but you're the teacher and you're the example. And so I began to declare that over my kids. And so Stetson, within three days, they told me, we don't know what we're going to find when we wake him up. Um... He had a bone that was sticking out of his leg. They wrapped it up the next day. The bone wasn't sticking out of his leg. I prayed all night. And these nurses couldn't understand how he was doing so well. Um, He was walking, talking, feeding himself. After three days, he got out of the ICU, walked himself out of the ICU, and within five days, he was back at home. No internal injuries, no internal bleeding. He had some skull fractures. Everything that broke was in perfect place to heal. And he walked out of there. And while he was in there, he has the most amazing stories about what he saw. He remembers hitting the ground, but then he was instantly with Jesus. And he had conversations with God, and he began to tell us what he was seeing, and he was schooling all of us, you know, of what he knew and what he saw. And as a mom, I think that that moment was 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 a pivotal moment for me. Did he go to, like, heaven essentially is that he was he went to heaven yes he says that he hits the ground and he immediately sees Jesus and I said well did you ask him are you Jesus how did you know he was Jesus and he said the most profound thing this little six-year-old sat up and said mom you don't have to ask him if he's Jesus you know he's Jesus does he look like the the actor in the chosen <laughs> yeah, that's what exactly. I <laughs> I just I, was kidding. amazed yeah, yeah but he as a six-year-old, I said, well, what'd you ask God? And he said, I wanted to know how the golden floors feel. You know, as a six-year-old, they just asked some of the funniest stuff. Yeah. And But that day, he had gotten baptized at North Church here at Guthrie. He had brought his goggles. Hetty had baptized him. And he, within on our way home from church, not but four hours later is when the accident happened, the day that he got baptized here at North that's amazing. What what was that like? I mean, the obviously the high and the low of seeing your your uh, your son being baptized, and then to go through something like that. I mean, probably I would imagine one of the most terrifying moments of your life. It was. What was what was that like? It was horrifying, and I remember sitting there holding him, and 
I knew it was bad. I could hear bl- I could hear blood in his lungs. He was bleeding out of his mouth and his ears and his nose. His eyes were crossed. His arms were shriveled up. He looked brain damaged. Um, and I knew he had internal bleeding. I just knew it. And um, I had a thought. Um, I was presented with two thoughts. One, he's going to die. That was just, I knew he was dying and I had a choice to make. The other one was just pray that he lives. It's okay if he's brain damaged, just pray that he lives. And I was presented with this thought when I was sitting there. It was almost like time slowed down. And I remember thinking, no, I have a choice to make right now. I can freak out (laughs) or... Which is exactly what I would have done. (laughs) I can freak out. I mean, my body was in shock. You know, your heart's racing. Your your pulse is crazy. You're sweating. you're, You're crying. But my spirit was at such peace because I knew truth. And, you know, what we store in our heart comes out in moments like that, whether we like it or not. When we're in a moment of crisis, what you've put in will come out. You can't, you cannot manufacture something in that moment. And so... I looked at my husband and I said, I said, he's dying. And he looked back at me and he said, I know. And I said, we're never going to say that again. And he said, you're right. We're never going to say that again. And from that moment on, we made a choice. You know, that reminds me of a, a quote that Lee Jackson, who actually goes to North Church in Oklahoma City, he said, he said this, and it really stuck with me. He said, I may be, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm about to butcher it, but you, you can't go to the gym when you're in the middle of the fight. Yeah. And that to me is so, I mean, it it speaks to that situation in that you, all of your faith and your spirituality and what you've, what you've poured into yourself, you were able to get through that moment and, and heal your son and be there for your family and your son and not just Stetson, but your other kids as well, because of the work you had put in before that moment. Uh, you know, to to be spiritual and to be faithful. That's exactly right. You have to have a history with God. You know, not that you can't call upon God in a moment like that, but when you have a history with him, it changes that moment. It changes how you feel and what you know as true. And there's a peace that surpasses all understanding in that moment because you know that God will be with you no matter what happens. That's it makes me think of the Bible story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew going into that fire, the reality was they were going to be burnt to death immediately. But what did they say to King Nebuchadnezzar? They said that we're going in this fire because we choose not to worship you. But if we go in (laughs) and God chooses to save us, he'll get the glory. But if he doesn't, he still gets the glory because he's God. And they had a peace. Your your faith, I'm sure, has... has been tested um, this year as you're going through a battle. And I don't know how long you've been going through it, but you're facing cancer. Yes. So uh, tell us about that struggle and that uh, that journey that you're going through right now. Yeah. So um, actually on my birthday, I found a lump, um, which is a great birthday present, let me tell you. Uh, And I went to the doctor and I was misdiagnosed for about six months. Um, it, it, It didn't act or feel or seem like what breast cancer was, but it was. And it wasn't just just breast cancer. I mean, just a normal. It was the worst kind of breast cancer you can have. It was triple triple negative breast cancer, and uh, and by the time that it was discovered, it was about stage three. And so, I also this was just a few months ago, <laughs> in May that we discovered this, and I had a choice to make. One was I gonna forgive the doctors that misdiagnosed me after I went so many times and so many scans and um, that were just for sure it wasn't. 
or and was I going to walk with bitterness or was I going to be an example to that medical center and then my other choice was how was I going to face this how was I going to walk this out and what was I going to believe and so I've been going through chemo and I still have about 10 weeks left and just bald as a cue ball looks so good and um you know we we're walking through it and it's hard and it's really hard. But do you know that every doctor that misdiagnosed me, every conversation that I had, I made a choice that I was not going to walk in bitterness and I was going to live in a pure, pure and blameless before the Lord. And so then when it comes time for my son, (laughs) you know, I wonder if I had had bitterness in my heart and had been walking out fear and anger and frustration with the Lord instead of just truly surrendering my whole life and the outcome of my life to him, what would that have looked like in that moment as well? That's so good. But how do you, if for those who are struggling yeah. with, with bitterness, and there's a lot of people out there uh, struggling with maybe they lost their job or maybe they're going through health crises or maybe they're, yeah. they're going through a breakup and, and, and they're struggling or something bad has happened to the child and, and, and there's bitterness in their heart. What advice do you give to those people to just, you, just to remove that bitterness? Oh, man. You know, the only thing that can remove that bitterness is Jesus. You know, I think we try really hard on our own. We try to wake up and say, today's going to be different. And, and, um, and we, have, we do have choice and in, in action in that. But I think that surrender is the most important part because feelings aren't facts. Like we can feel the bitterness, but we can tell our brains, we can tell ourselves, God's bigger than this. And I'm going to just choose forgiveness today. I'm going to choose it, not because I feel like it, but because I know that one, it releases that other person, but it also releases me, you know, um, it releases me from bondage. And I think that stewarding your own heart and soul is one separating that feelings aren't facts. I had to tell myself that you're going to feel, you're going to feel offended in life. You're going to feel bitterness. You're going to feel anger and rage and all of those things. God created those emotions. That's a part of us being humans. Um, but where, as believers, our spirit and our soul and our body, it's all in a war. And a lot of times our soul, our spirit has to tell our body what to believe. And it's hard. It is not for the faint of heart at all. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. You know, especially today, we live in this world where everybody is just so easily offended. Yeah. And everybody's just so quick to get mad at each other and, you know, to lash out at each other. And mm-hmm. it, it's so easy because, of, you know, we go talk an hour about social media and all its evil oh, gosh, implications. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it to me, that's just so good that forgiveness is forgiveness is not you're you, you're not a lot of times when you forgive. You, you're forgiving that person, but you're also, you're, you're healing yourself and you can't heal yeah. yourself without that forgiveness. That's exactly right. The Bible says that if you will not forgive your brother, you will not for yourself be forgiven. Um, it's very powerful. We overlook how powerful forgiveness is, forgiving ourselves and forgiving other people. That's one thing that can hold you in bondage for the rest of your life if you choose not to forgive somebody. Yeah, it, 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 you, it puts you in a prison. That's when absolutely bitterness right. doesn't, it, you know, if you don't forgive the other person, it doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. It puts you in a prison. <laughs> it doesn't put them in a prison. It puts you in a prison. That's ex- absolutely right. Yeah. You mentioned that you were, you were bald. Uh, you I, wear you wear it well. You wear it much you. better than I would. I tell you that much. <laughs> I, I, you you wear it very beautifully. Thank I, you. You know, um, 
it, w- it would be easy for you not, I mean, maybe to put on a wig and you're on stage, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe just to wear a wig, but you don't, you, you choose right. to, to be bald. Yeah. Why, why, I mean, and, and why, why do you do that? So in the beginning of this, I, you know, I just chose that I wanted to hide actually. We had a church meeting um, up here and it was the day that I went to the oncologist for the very first time. And it was um, when pastor was here, we had a dinner and he was talking to everybody. And um, I will never forget that day because there's this performance battle inside of me. And as growing up as a believer, you know the right things to say, you know how to act, but you're still feeling all of the emotions. And a lot of times the enemy lies to us and that because we feel this way, we're not having faith. And that day I was struggling really bad because I couldn't stop crying. It was just coming out of me. And I knew what I was facing. I was going to be bald. I, you know, I had a very long, beautiful hair. And um, and I'm not vain about that. Um, but it just is hard for, for a woman, you know. Uh, do I have a lumpy head? You know, you think things like that. <laughs> um, and so that day I ended up just, they asked for prayer requests, and I ended up just crying my eyes out. Um, I think you were there. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do remember But that. I, I just was crying, and I couldn't stop. And I got in the car that night and my and I just was rattled because of the emotion inside of me I I didn't like it and my husband looked at me and he said you know Tier, the reality is is that um you can't perform cancer well <laughs> you <laughs> that's, that's good yeah, yeah you, yeah, that's you good. can't you can't perform this well like people are gonna see you struggle and it's gonna you're gonna be very vulnerable in this season but God did not ask me to get off that stage He didn't ask me to be in the very back, bundled up, huddled away in the fetal position. He asked me to um, believe I wasn't dying and to act like I wasn't. So I told Farah, I would like to still worship on stage. I would like to still, um, even though the lights glare off my beautiful white forehead off on stage, we joke that I'm a light bulb for Jesus. And that's what I tell my kids. (laughs) That's good. I, I, um, you know, I, 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 number one, I think you look beautiful. And number two, I think that you, the strength you show by just, just that to me is, and I know there's a lot more strength behind it, but as just the visual strength of, I'm going to face this and I'm not going to be shy about it. No. I'm going to show my strength. I, I, I'm in awe of you and, you and your strength. What is, what is your husband? How has he helped you through this process? Talk about him and, and what he's meant to you as you faced this. Oh goodness. It's on so many different levels, you know, that I, I think that when you're, when you, as a couple, as a married couple, as a family, when you go through this, you're the best and worst parts of you are, are, are shown. And I think the absolute best parts of him have come out. He is so loving and kind and tender and all the reasons I married for him. I don't know how I would have done this with five kids and him working and watching a baby, helping me get kids to school. Um, helping me cook dinner or do whatever needs to get done and working a full-time job while I go through chemo and all of that. And um, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not going to lie. It will test anybody. (laughs) And he has just, um, he's like, no, we're going to church. We're going to worship God. We're going to say that God's good in the midst of all of it, no matter what. And he's led our family very beautifully and well. That's good. What has the chemo been like? Uh, what are some of the what side effects? What it, what, how does that how does that affect you? 
So it affects me lots of different ways. You know, one of the scary things was when the doctor met with me, he said, you know, you're young, I'm only 34. And um, when he met with me, he said, we're going to give you, I had to have a heart scan before just to make sure my heart could handle what was about to come. And he said, we're going to give you the most chemo we give anybody. Um, We're going to throw everything we have at you and just, you know, knock it out. And that was daunting (laughs) to me. I mean, you know, um, but I just prayed that God would give me grace through it. And, and thankfully I have not had that many side effects. And the doctor even looks at me and says, how have you walked out of this looking like healthy and, and, um, you know, with joy. And the only answer that I can give them is by the power of God, because they give me, I mean, I was like on um, the beginning of it, like nine nausea medications just on the day of chemo. Um, it's remarkable what, you know, my body has, has gone through in the last couple of months. But, um, I've just prayed that God would just give me grace and that I could give myself grace. What's the prognosis? Is there, uh, you know, do you, would you go through the chemo and then you reassess? Do they, what is that? Is that how that works? So I have like, I don't know how many rounds. I have 10 more rounds of a different chemo now. Um, And then we'll do another scan. And, uh, but all the tumors have completely shrunk almost to our, they're non-existent even when we feel them anymore. Um, so the doctor is very pleased at how it's going. He's like, you are healing rapidly. And um, so I'll have another PET scan and then I'll probably have surgery and then reconstructive surgery. And then after that, maybe a chemo pill or maybe radiation. But for all intents and purposes, what I'm saying is that um, I would love to be done by Christmas. That's my Christmas wish, but we'll see what happens. But that's kind of the next steps. What is the North Church Guthrie community? How have they helped you through this? Oh, gosh. I I am so glad that we found North before walking through any of this. I mean, we have had meals. We've had gift cards. Um, when we were in the ICU, I mean, Hetty brought us. I think he went into the Brahms grocery store and bought us every single thing on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> he brought bags and bags. We couldn't even finish it all. Just, just the love of the people. Of just of God's people. It was just so, it, I don't know how you cannot want to know this God after meeting the people here. We love them with all of our hearts. And the text messages and the phone calls, you know, when I was driving to the um, I, ICU, it was an hour's drive after the accident, um, and I was covered in blood, covered in blood of Stetson's blood and I was in shock my body was shaking and um I got there could barely stand up straight and Farah and um Amy Moffat they had bought me shoes and clothes and they showed up and Farah helped me wash the blood off of my arms in the bathroom and just you know you and she prayed with me and she stood there as Andrew and I grieved and then laughed and then you know um had to sit for hours before we could even know if our son was brain damaged. And just, I don't know how someone goes through that without people that have hope, that can remind you of hope when you need it. It's really good. What uh, what are you grateful for? Oh, gosh. We would need a three-hour podcast <laughs> for that. But simply put, you know, when I was a little girl, when I was seven years old, God revealed himself to me. And I had a dream one night. 
and I saw all of these angels in the sky and I saw Jesus and they were all just hovering, watching me as if they were waiting and watching to see what was going to unfold in my life. And I remember thinking up a couple years ago, you know, God, I always remember that. I woke up that day. I said, God, mom, I want to know Jesus. I met him. I want to get baptized. And ever since then, I've followed him. And I'm so grateful that he chose to reveal himself to me and that I've had, that I've been able to walk this life with him because I don't know how I would have done it without him. Well, Tara, you are, uh, you know, so strong and, uh, you know, such a light and I'm, I'm grateful for you and, uh, you know, the, what your the gifts that you pour to this church and, uh, you know, and the light that you shine, uh, on the worship team and just generally, uh, just as you walk in the halls of this church and what you provide. If somebody who listens to this podcast, you know, maybe wants to uh, contribute to uh, to the to the yeah. food pantry, I call it a food pantry. I'm yeah. Not, uh, could they reach out to you on Facebook? Is that absolutely okay? Absolutely, you can just contact me. Find me at church. Contact me on Facebook or Instagram. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Well, that's, thank you for coming on the show. This has been such a delight. Thank you for having me. Uh, that is Tira Wagner. She was our guest today on Sunday Stories, presented by North Church Guthrie. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Sunday Stories. We'd love you to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. North Church services are live streamed on Facebook or YouTube. Or you can join us for a live physical service every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. North Church Guthrie services take place at 2219 Woodlawn Avenue, just off of I-35 and Highway 33. We'd love to see you there. And as always, love God, love people, and follow Jesus.